I'm just excited because we launch into uh, a new summer series. It's going to be about eight weeks long, and the series is just called Simply Characters. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited because I've been thinking and praying and planning and preparing and just getting ready for this series for a while. And so today, it's already been a great day, and I'm excited for tonight. Um, and anytime I start a brand new sermon series, I generally like to ask two questions of, why are we doing this? Out of all the things that we could be talking about, why are we doing a series called Characters? So I want to answer the question of why, but then I also want to look at the question of what. Uh, what's the point? What are we actually trying to accomplish uh, this summer? What would be the end game or what would be the goal? And so as I think about the question of why are we doing uh, this sermon series, and we're going to be looking at uh, seven different characters, uh, all in the Old Testament. Some of um, them are men, some of them are women. So we're looking at characters in the Old Testament, but specifically we're looking at the character of the character. Uh, and the why of why we're doing this series, I wrote it down like this, is your character, it matters to God. Why we're doing this is because I really want us to see, to know, to understand, to believe, to be convinced of that your character, who you are and who you're becoming, it absolutely, it matters to God. I'm going to guess most of us here tonight would say, you know what, that makes sense. Of course our character matters to God. God is God and God is holy and of course God would, our, our character would absolutely matter to him. But what I've seen in my own life observed and what I've seen in the lives of those around me is that we're often more concerned about our reputation than we are our character. Uh, and there's a big difference between our reputation and our character. And God's not concerned about your rep, as it were, but God is very concerned about your character. I wrote it down like this. Your reputation is not who you are. Your reputation is not who you are. Your reputation is who others think you are. Your character is who you really are, and God cares about who you are. So your reputation, what other people think of you, what other people say of you, is not who you really are. That's your reputation. Your character is who you really are. And there are many people who have an incredible reputation. People think very highly of them. They're very spiritual. They're very pious. They're, they have... Um, uh, they just have a great reputation. But if you peel back behind the reputation, as it were, character is severely lacking. They have the appearance of having it all together. They have the appearance of, hey, my walk with God is great. My marriage is great. My family is great. My community is great. My job is great. And you have the reputation, but if you peel that back just a layer, behind that is a character that is absolutely lacking. For years, uh, I won't even say I battled with this, I just wasted years and years and years of my life trying to have an impeccable reputation, cared more about what other people thought of me, uh, specifically wanting people to think highly of me, thinking, you know, Michael's got his stuff together, his walk with God, his marriage, him as a dad, he's got his stuff together, and I worked hard to craft a reputation until God woke me up to the fact of, like, I don't care about your reputation, I care about your character. I care about who you are and who you're becoming. Um, there's great definitions out there on character. If you just Googled character, you're going to come up with some great quotes, some great definitions. But the quote that's probably most helpful in understanding what is character uh, was Deal Moody. And Deal Moody just said this, character is what a man is in the dark. Character is what a man is in the dark. It's, I'm sure you've maybe heard this 
phrase like this, character is who you are when no one's watching, when no one's looking, when no one's paying attention. Uh, and what I specifically found most helpful, most challenging about D.L. Moody's is your character is who you are, is in, who, who you are in the dark, is challenging but encouraging is, you know what, God can see in the dark. Uh, God can absolutely see in the dark. So even though we might be able to hide who we are from other people, we can't hide who we are from God. God knows us absolutely completely. I might be able to fake people out with a good reputation, but I can't fake God out. God knows me. Uh, yesterday, I was just going through uh, my daily read and was in First Chronicles, uh, and I love when this happens, when I'm just doing my daily routine of some time in the Old Testament, some time in the New Testament, and I was in First Chronicles 17, and uh, King David was praying uh, back to God, and he was just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude for how good, gracious, kind God had been, and this is what he says, what more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. And what just grabbed me about that is the reminder of, Michael, God knows what you're really like. You can't put on pretense before God. You can't fake God out. You might be able to do that with other people, but you can't do that with God. He knows who you are. So why are we doing characters this summer? It's because your character matters to God. And my hope is that after two months of looking at different characters and their character, as it were, is that you would also be convinced that your character matters to God. And if it matters to God, it matters to you. Uh, the what is what are we hoping to accomplish with this series? And in many ways, it's a pretty simple answer. It's a challenging life, but it's a simple answer of if my character matters to God, then what we're hoping to accomplish in and through this series is that you would have a, a good understanding of what character that is God-honoring looks like. To have a character that's pleasing, that is honoring to God, you would know, not just know what it is, but you would begin living it out to say, I've got a long way to go and I've got a lot to learn, but I'm on the path of having a character, who I am, that is pleasing and honoring to God. Uh, Psalm 139 is a, a really encouraging verse to me. I'm not going to say it's, it's a life verse by any means, but I come back to it pretty frequently. Uh, and one of the reasons that I come back to Psalm 139 is because of the invitation in that psalm. And before we jump in tonight to look at Cain, he's our first character we're looking at, uh, I wanted to invite you to do something. And this might be challenging to you, but I wanted to invite you to ask God to search you. I wanted to invite you to invite God to examine you. This is what uh, David, uh, the psalmist, says in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I come back to that pretty frequently because I don't want to be the guy anymore that is walking around offending God with how I'm living my life. I don't want to be the guy that's walking around acting clueless as to things I might be doing, things I might be saying, things I might be thinking that are absolutely offensive to God. And so one of the things I need to do frequently is, God, you know me. Search me. God, would you please be gracious to reveal in me anything that would offend you? Because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to have anything in me that would be offensive to you. So God, would you 
reveal that to me? Would you point out anything in my life that would be offensive to you? And so I want to invite you tonight, not just tomorrow. This isn't like one of those things, hey, think about it this week and maybe pray on your way home. In a few minutes here, I'm going to invite us just to pray. And you just, where you're sitting, quietly ask God, would you reveal to me, in me, anything that might be offensive to you? And really the the second challenge slash invitation for you is to say to God, as you're revealing these things to me, would you be at work in my life? Would you be at work? As God reveals to us where we're at, the beauty of what David says in the psalm is, then would you lead me? Would you put me on the path, the the road that would grow in me character that is absolutely honoring to you? I think most of us would agree, at least I hope we would, that we'd be humble enough to say, you know, I haven't arrived. I've got a long way to go. Uh, I've got a lot to learn, especially as it relates to character. Pastor, author, teacher Craig Rochelle out in Oklahoma uh, wrote a great book called Alter Ego. And in the opening pages, he simply says this, you are not yet who you are supposed to be. And I remember just reading that. I was like, wow, how true is that? You, Michael, are not yet who you are supposed to be. And so I could respond to that in two ways. I could have one response that would say, I'm not yet who I am supposed to be. So I need to start working really hard. I need to start developing some, some disciplines, as it were, and I need to be really diligent uh, in working on myself. I need to give myself that pep talk every morning to say, have character that pleases God, and just work and work and perform and work some more. You could do that, but I wanted to invite you not to do that moving forward. The challenge is for, not for you to work on yourself, but the invitation is to say, God, would you be at work in me? Would you be at work in my life? Uh, Galatians 2, I like how Paul says it. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, it's not about me because I died to myself. It's not about how hard I try. It's not about my best effort. It's not about me being diligent and disciplined. I've died to my performing. I've died to trying to fix myself, as it were, and it's actually Christ. If you're a Christian and you've made that decision to follow Jesus, he lives in you. And so what you're asking Jesus to do tonight, Jesus, would you continue to be at work in me as you reveal to me my character, what you know of me, what I might not know of me, would you be at work? So I just take a minute and just be quiet where you are and just simply say, God, would you search me? Would you please search me and reveal to me anything that might offend you?
Heavenly Father, I give thanks that you can see in the dark. Heavenly Father, I give thanks that you see us, you know us. God, I pray that you would please be gracious to answer each of these prayers that have been offered to you. Prayers asking God for you to search us. God, for you to reveal to us things in us that might not be pleasing to you. And God, I do ask that tonight we would not be discouraged or weighed down by those things, but we would be encouraged that you, God, are at work in us, cultivating character that is pleasing to you. God, I pray that tonight you would speak. Your voice would be the loudest voice. God, I pray that you would encourage and bless and inspire and challenge and convict. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do and meet meet each heart and soul. God, that we would leave here tonight blessed by you, saying that we had an encounter with the living God. So God, thank you. God, thank you for being good. Thank you for being gracious, and thank you for being at work in our lives. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, we start with Cain. Uh, Tonight, we start with Cain. Cain is the very first son of Adam and Eve. He's the older brother uh, of Abel. Uh, And sadly, he is also the first one in human history to commit murder. Uh, And so you might be thinking, huh, that's wicked and encouraging. Why on earth are we starting with Cain? Why not start with Abel? Uh, Why are we starting with Cain? And as I was thinking and kind of praying through the different characters we were looking at, I was really drawn specifically to Cain uh, to begin our series with because I wrote it down like this, our character will be formed by the choices we make. And what I see in Cain is a series of bad choices that continue to form character that ultimately, at the end of the day, was not at all pleasing or honoring to God. And so I was really encouraged, uh, I was saddened by Cain's example, but I was encouraged by the reminder in looking at this character in particular, that my character will be formed by the choices that I make. Uh, And so as we walk through this story here in Genesis 4, you're going to see a series of choices that Cain continually was making. And the choices he was making kept getting further and further and further away from having character that was pleasing to God. And the further he got away from character pleasing to God, it was just devastation uh, for him, his relationship with God, and devastation for his relationship with his family as well. Uh, It's helpful to remember that in Genesis 3, his parents, Adam and Eve, made the decision to sin, to rebel against God, to go and just do their own thing. And so Genesis 3 tells a story of how sin entered the human race, how sin entered the human heart. But in Genesis 4... It tells the tragic story of the devastation that sin actually had on the first family, specifically Adam and Eve, uh, the older brother Cain, and Abel. Now, the story that we're looking at, uh, it makes very clear that Cain, um, uh, Cain is a farmer, and his younger brother, uh, Abel, uh, is a shepherd. And we don't know how they knew to do this, but the story in Genesis 4 tells us that they both brought a gift. They both both brought an offering to the Lord. And it says that Cain brought, uh, since he was a farmer, uh, he brought some of his crops. Uh, Since Abel was a shepherd, uh, he presented some of, uh, he presented the best or the firstborn lamb. And so both of these men brought gifts or offerings to God that were consistent with their occupation. 
But the story doesn't necessarily say why, but the story makes clear that God was pleased with uh, the gift and the, the giver and the gift of one, but not the other. It says in Genesis 4, verse 4 and 5, the Lord had accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. So the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. So obvious question is, well, why is that? Why is God playing favorites here? Just does he like the younger brother better? Is he more impressed with Abel and his gift and less impressed with Cain and, and his gift? Why does God accept one uh, over the other? And, you know, at the end of the day, there's lots of speculation as to why God um, uh, accepted, Abel and him, accepted Abel and his gift over Cain. But in many ways, the story doesn't give us a clear answer as to why God accepted one over the other. So rather than me speculate a bunch of things that God, maybe that's why God did it, what I see in the text, maybe the point is not so much of the type of gift that was given, but maybe it was more about the condition of the giver. It's easy for us to look at the external and be like, well, Cain brought gifts, but his gifts weren't the best, and that's why God didn't accept Cain and his gift. Abel, he brought the best. He brought the first, and clearly that's why God accepted him. And the story is, is relatively silent on that. And I think it's for the point of we're not, the author here, Moses, is not focusing on the type of the gift, but he's looking at the condition uh, of the giver. Um, here, in my mind, I just see really the very first example of something that's just called tokenism. And tokenism is just, you want to appear as you are actually are not. You want to have the appearance that you are very generous, very faithful, or fold with faith. You're very righteous. You're doing the right thing. You want to have the appearance of that. You want to have the reputation, as it were, of that. But that's actually very far from who you really are. And so I see in Cain, one who was choosing to appear to be filled with faith or faithful, but actually was very far from that. If you look in the New Testament in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And so as I read now the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, I see it's very easy to have the appearance of being faithful or religious or pious or moral, but we can't fake God out. We can't fake God out. This is not so much about what Cain brought in his hands, but what Cain brought in his heart. And God can see that. God can absolutely see what's in his heart. Now, Cain knows. The story goes on, and it says Cain knows uh, that God has not accepted him and not accepted his offering, and he has accepted Abel and his offering. And it's in this moment that Cain has another decision. He already had one decision to make. Am I going to give to God in faith, in gratitude? Am I going to give to God the gifts, or am I just going to have the appearance? So he's already made one wrong decision. His second decision that he has to make is, how am I going to respond to God? who has not received, who has not accepted me or my gift. He's got a choice. I can respond in humility and say, you know what, God? You're right. You saw my heart. My heart was not there. It was pretense. It was reputation. It was tokenism. 
his second choice, and he chooses wrongly. And he's continually will make choices in the story that gets further and further away from character honoring to God. It says in Genesis 4, verse 5, and his choice became very visible. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? So he clearly didn't hide his feelings. He clearly was upset and was not ashamed or afraid to hide how he was really feeling. And then the Lord says to him, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door and is eager to control you, but you must subdue it and must be its master. What's really encouraging to me about what I see about God's character, God is gracious in that he comes to Cain with questions, not condemnation. God is gracious in coming to Cain, and he reminds Cain of what it takes to be accepted. Cain, if you would just do this. This passage, God is gracious in warning Cain of the power and the devastation of sin. In many ways, I see what God is doing for Cain is he simply says, Cain, man, I see what's in your head right now. I see what's in your heart. And you don't have to go down that road. You don't have to choose that path. Cain, you don't have to sin. You can master that, Cain. You don't have to sin. But Cain, if you go down that road, it's going to master you. It's going to control you. It's going to dominate you. And it's going to devastate you. I think one of the things that's hard for myself to realize is I don't have to sin. I choose to sin. Sadly, there are people who make choices to also sin against you, to sin against me. But at the end of the day, when I sin, I am making a deliberate choice to sin. And what I see in this passage is you don't have to sin. Sin is a choice that we make. And I think some obviously would say, well, Michael, that's just impossible. I can't control it. I'm going to tell you, sin is a choice that you and I make, and we don't have to choose to sin. This is what God is saying to Cain. Cain, you don't have to. You can master it. You don't have to be mastered by it. Now, unlike his parents, Cain was not being tempted from the outside, as it were. Cain's not being tempted by a serpent that is tempting him to do what God has clearly told him not to do. What's different here with Cain than versus his parents, as it were, is his sin is coming from within. His, his temptation, his sin, as it were, is coming from within his heart. Now, if it's true that we don't have to sin, sin is something we choose to do, we choose to sin against God, ourselves, against those around us, if it's true, then why do we choose it so quickly and so often? And there's many reasons for that, but I just wrote down two in my journal is sin's very deceptive. Sin gets us thinking about, this isn't really about me, this is someone else is the problem. So somewhere along the line in Cain's heart and his mind, he started seeing Abel as the issue. Abel is the problem. Sin had twisted his mind to be thinking, no, this isn't about me, this is about my little brother. And not only does sin deceive us, as it were, it blinds us. Sin has not only deceptive power, but it has blinding power, and it blinds you from seeing the devastation that sin is going to wreak in your life. 
And we just see the immediate relief, we see the immediate pleasure, we see the immediate, and we don't look beyond the immediate to see, you know what, this is going to trash my life. This is going to trash my relationship. This is going to trash my marriage. This is going to wreck my family. This is going to wreck God's call on my life. Sin is deceptive, and sin has a blinding effect. And again, Cain, his next move is going to solidify his character. He's got another opportunity. God has told him, Cain, you don't have to do this. And so it's in this moment, Cain, what are you going to do? Will you continue to walk down the path of pride and anger and jealousy and envy towards your brother? Or, Cain, will you just be humble and say, God, you're right. You do know me. You do know my heart. I confess my heart is just it's wrong. And sadly, you might already know how this choice is made. In Genesis 4, verse 8, one day, Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and he killed him. That's a really hard detail in that story. I don't know what it was like for Abel going out into the field that day. His brother wanted to show him, hey, come see the crops, see what's been going on. Only to be brutally attacked and just murdered by the brother that he, his only brother that he knew, that he trusted. I can't imagine what it was like that day in the field where Cain was just overtaken with anger and rage and bitterness and picks up a rock and crushes his brother. Cain again made another choice and his choice that he made continued to take him further and further away from having character that would be at all pleasing and honoring to God. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? It seems like a pretty extreme response or reaction. Why did he kill his brother? In the New Testament, uh, John actually addresses and answers this question. 1 John chapter 3 says, This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and he killed his brother. And why? Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. And so he looked at his brother and he saw that his brother was the righteous one. And rather than choosing the path of repentance, choosing the path of righteousness, the path of humility, Cain made the choice, again, get further and further away from God-honoring character and made the choice to be filled with jealousy towards his brother, to be filled with anger towards his brother. And what I see is just an absolutely devastating characteristic trait is just to be filled with envy. He envied what his brother had, but he lacked the character to get it. How much of what I do, how much of what you do is actually driven by envy? I wrote it down in my journal of envy defined. If covetousness wants the thing in your neighbor's hand, and jealousy desires to be the neighbor, envy wants to take away whatever, is, uh, whatever it is that the neighbor has in his hand. It's another way of saying, what you have, I deserve. What you have, I want. You don't 
deserve that, I deserve that, and we get filled with envy. Now, envy is a really personal thing. This is a brother-on-brother thing. Uh, I gave this example earlier. Like, I don't go to a Red Sox game and look at David Ortiz or Dustin Pedroia or go to a basketball game and look at some of these, and I'm not filled with envy towards these baseball players or basketball players. They are so far removed from my circle that it doesn't, I, I'm, hey, that's great that they can hit home runs. It doesn't bother me that I don't play professional baseball and can't hit home runs. It is so far removed from my circle, my sphere of influence, my friends. But where envy kicks in is when it becomes really personal, when it's someone you know. Uh, in a great book written by Tim Chaddock, he said, describing envy like this, envy is often linked to status. When we encounter another successes in an area that we value, I don't value baseball and hitting home runs, so that's why I don't get filled with envy towards a David Ortiz. Well, that's when things can get messy. If we value wealth, beauty, skill, influence, or reputation, then it stands to reason that when we encounter someone who is praised for his or her wealth, beauty, skill, influence, or reputation, we will pay attention. And when that person is someone we identify with, most often a peer or a member of our professional or social circle, then the temptation of envy prevents, uh, presents itself. So we envy not people we don't know from a distance. Where envy kicks in is our own brother, our own friend, our own neighbor, our own coworker. We envy something that they have. We envy their successes. We envy, as it says, the status that they have. For me, I would love to be able to stand here tonight and tell you I don't battle envy at all. And when I'm talking to maybe other guys who are in ministry, other pastors, and they're telling me about what God's doing in their church, and they say, Michael, it's absolutely amazing to see how many people are coming, and it's growing, and people are coming to faith. I would love to say, outwardly, I smile and say, man, that is amazing. That is awesome. But my heart gets filled with envy. Okay, why? What, what about me? When guys tell me about, oh, Michael, I have the opportunity. I was invited to go speak at this this event or this conference or this publisher invited me to come write a blog or a book on this. Outwardly, I'm like, oh, that is amazing. That is absolutely incredible. But my heart gets filled with just, well, what about me? What about me? And to be honest with you, I hate even telling you that. I feel so stupid telling you that. And then it dawned on me, this is what envy does. It makes people stupid. Envy has a way of just making you think stupid things and doing stupid things. When I look at Cain, so filled with anger and bitterness and envy towards his brother Cain, the choice he made to be filled with that, it made him stupid. And it made him do incredibly stupid things. But here's the good news. Even in the height of our stupidity, our envy, specifically looking here at Cain, God shows up again. Cain has done this horrific thing in killing his brother, but God shows up and he says this to Cain in verse, chapter 4, verse 9. Afterward, meaning after you just murdered your little brother, afterward the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? And just so you know, this isn't one of those moments in time where God was like, Cain, seriously, I need your help. Like, Abel has gone missing, 
and there's only four other people, three other people on the planet, and it's concerning to me that I've lost one of them, so will you help me? This is a repeat of Genesis 3, when God comes to Cain's father, Adam, and he says, Adam, where are you? Have you eaten from the tree? God is asking a question, not because he doesn't have the answer, he doesn't have the knowledge. He's asking the question because in Genesis 3, he's giving Adam the opportunity to confess what he's done. Character is formed by the choices that we make. God gave Adam an opportunity to confess and say, God, I've rebelled. I chose to do what you told me not to do. But in Genesis 3 with Adam... His response is he didn't deny it. He just blamed somebody else. And he said, well, God, that's a great question. We should get Eve involved in this conversation because actually she is the one who made me do this. And as the story goes on, it gets even worse because the blame game turns away from Eve and it's really more to God. Well, God, actually, this is really your fault because you created Eve. And if you didn't create Eve, man, we would not be having this conversation right now. So he blames somebody else for the choice that he makes. What I see in Genesis 4 is God does for Cain what he did for Adam. Cain, where is your brother? Where's Abel? And this is Cain's chance to make a choice to say, God, I'm sorry. I killed him. God, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. This was his moment in time to choose the path of humility and repentance and confess and say, God, I've done something horrific. But rather than blame somebody else for the choice he made, rather than actually blame God, Cain does something even worse. He just blatantly lies to God. It says in Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 9, after God says, uh, uh, where is Abel? Uh, Where's your brother? Where's Abel? The rest of Genesis 4, 9 says, I don't know. Cain replied, am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Really, Cain? You really don't know where your brother is. He just blatantly lies to God. And I I don't know this for sure, but as I read this story, I see Cain's heart had grown so hard towards God that I really think he thought God wouldn't know that he would get away with his sin. He would get away with his choice to kill his brother. And not only does he lie to God and say, I don't know where Abel is, he takes it a step further, and the one who is being questioned by God actually becomes the questioner. And he says, am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Because I'm pretty sure that's your job, God. You're in charge of him, not me. Don't you know where he is? And you can just see his heart, the rebellion in his heart to lie to God, thinking that he would get away with it. But in verse 10, but the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And sin finds him out. And this is the hard reality about sin is you can't hide from it. Sin will find you out. You can't hide sin from God. Whether it's a very overt sin, external sin like murder for Cain and his little brother, 
or it's an internal, our sin, we cannot hide it from God. God says to Cain, can't you hear it? Your brother is crying out to me. His blood spilt on the ground by you is crying out to me. Now, the remainder of Cain's life, he just lives as a wanderer. He lives as a wanderer in fear that someone is going to do to him what he did to his, his little brother. And when God gives Cain his sentence, as it were, Cain is like, God, that sentence is just too much for me to bear. I'm fearful that someone is going to kill me. And God, again, being gracious to Cain, says, Cain, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. But again, he has in that moment another opportunity to say, God, I want to confess my sin before you. But you see the choice he made was, God, I'm more concerned about myself. What's going to happen to me? When people see me, when they hear of this, they'll kill me. And again, you see choice after choice after choice after choice. Character was being formed that was selfish and self-centered and not at all pleasing and honoring to God. Now, just as we finish uh, tonight, uh, it would be easy just to say, hey, in conclusion, hey, don't be like Cain, and let's pray. And that would be uh, to miss the point, because it's easy for us to say, well, okay, I'm just not going to be like him. But to make a choice not to be like someone is still not making choice is to build character. It's not enough to say, well, I'm not going to be like him. If you're going to forge character that's honoring to God, then there are choices that you and I need to begin making. And as I consider, again, Cain as our example, his character, or lack thereof, uh, I finish with these few things of here are choices that you and I need to make now. Here are choices that you and I need to make today. Here are choices that you and I need to make every day. And as we make these choices, what's getting formed in us is character that is honoring, character that is pleasing to God. First one would simply be this. Choose to listen to what God is saying to you today. Choose to listen to what God is saying to you today. Throughout this tragic story, again and again, God meets Cain. God is speaking to Cain. But again, Cain's heart is not listening at all, not responding to what God is saying, and he's certainly not responding to what God is wanting him to do. So the choice that we need to make if we'd have character honoring to God is choose to listen to God today. So what is God saying to you now? What is God saying to you today? What choices is God calling you to make? I wrote it down in my journal like this. Like Cain, if we choose to ignore what God wants from us today, it will be easier to ignore him tomorrow. It's easy for us to say, well, gosh, I'm just not ready to go or do what I know God is wanting me to go and do. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. I'll do that next month. I'll do that next year. Like Cain, if we choose to ignore what God wants for us today, it will be easier to ignore him tomorrow. Why? Well, because sin not only is deceptive, sin is not only blinding, but sin has a hardening effect on our hearts. If God is speaking to you today, like he was to Cain again and again and again, listen today. Make decisions, make choices of what God is calling you to do. And I'm not saying that 
if you choose not to do this today, well, your heart's going to be a rock tomorrow and you'll never listen to God. But I'll be honest with you enough to say it gets harder. The longer you continue walking and doing what you want to do and listening to yourself, it gets incredibly hard because sin is hardening my heart towards God. Make the choice to listen to what God is saying to you today. The second thing is this. Choose to repent today. Choose to repent today. At least two times in this story, Cain was presented with the opportunity to repent, and he didn't take it. Two times he was presented with the opportunity. Cain, if you just do what's right, you're going to be accepted. Okay, God, I'll choose today to do what is right to be accepted. And he didn't. He made a choice to keep going down that road. God comes to again. Cain, what is it you've done? Another opportunity to repent of what he had done, but he doesn't take it. We must choose to repent of sin today. I've already said this a few times, but it's just worth repeating. You don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. You don't have to choose to sin. You can choose to repent of any sin today. And if you're like, Michael, that's just too hard. Well, this is what Paul says in Romans 8. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have, and I want you to hear this, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's Paul's way of saying you don't have to listen to the sin. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go down that road. He goes on to say, for if you live by it, it, uh, its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. If you choose to sin and continue sinning, you're choosing a path of devastation and destruction for you and for those around you. But if you choose not to sin, not to pay attention to those urges, as it were, you experience life. John Owen, who is a Puritan pastor, theologian, wrote a challenging book, but a great book called The Mortification of Sin. And he said this, the deceitfulness of sin is seen in that it is modest in its first proposals, but when it prevails, it hardens men's hearts and brings them to ruin. And he goes on to say, be killing sin or it be killing you. The choice that we make today, not tomorrow, is, God, I want to repent. I know for me, every time that I have not chosen the path of repentance, sin has taken me down a road I never, ever intended to go down. And when I chose not to repent, it just kept me there longer than I ever imagined staying. And when I didn't choose to repent, the sin that I was going after, it cost me so much more than I was ever willing to pay. The choice, if we would have character that would be honoring to God, is God, I choose to repent now. Not tomorrow, not next week, when I'm in a better mood. Today, right here, right now, tonight, I choose to repent. And then lastly, as we choose to respond and listen to God and repent, the last thing I would just encourage you with is simply this. The choice that we make every day is, God, I just want to walk in your grace John Piper said it very well um, in Desiring God. Grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. 
And I love that picture of grace. Often for us, I need grace when I've, when I've sinned. I need grace when I'm seeking forgiveness. But what we actually need is grace every day not to sin. Grace is not just pardon, it's power. And so what God has given to us every single day is grace increasing. So we choose not to walk in our own strength and say, well, I'm going to figure this out. I can do this. I can handle this. I can fix this. I can manage this. It's simply to say, God, I choose your grace today. I choose not my strength, but your strength. And the strength, your grace, I choose that. Peter says it very well. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Again, just another picture. Because of Jesus and the grace that's been given to us, we can live for what is right. Cain, three choices. He didn't listen to God. He didn't repent. And he didn't receive God's grace. But if he would have chosen those things, Cain's story would have ended very differently. My heart for you, for me, tonight, again, not tomorrow, not just throughout this series, is we would begin making choices that would cultivate character in us that would be honoring to God, listening, repenting, and receiving his grace.